In the summer of 1969, a series of murders shocked the city of Los Angeles. Days later, it was discovered the killings were committed by a crazy bunch of hobos who believed the murders would lead to a race war and the end of society. At the center of this group was a man who had spent years in prison, had dreams of rock and roll stardom, and who claimed he was Jesus Christ reincarnated. You probably know his name, but you might not know his story. Today on HPH, we're telling you about his early years and the lead up to the murders. Grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History, titled Charles Manson, Part 1. Breaking the law, breaking the law. This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Welcome back! Bitches and bitchettes! Didn't think we'd Let's come do back. It. Didn't think we'd come back. And then here oh. we are. You know what? Surprise. The people listening, they're the true fans, the true followers to our family. Because they're like, he can leave me, but uh, I know he'll come back. I know. He's not really going for cigarettes. He's, he's, he'll be back a month later. All of a sudden, I'm having a pity party. It's a girls' night, having a couple friends over We're in our pajamas. There's a knock at the door. Oh, who could it be? Open up the door. It's Chris and Greg. (laughs) One of us has the tuxedo bottoms. One of us has the tuxedo (laughs) tops. Both of our dicks are showing, though. (laughs) We have Smirnoff ices. Mine's poking through the cummerbund of the tuxedo. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Chris, dude, I'm excited to get into this topic. I actually did a cover of a song to get us in the mood. Would you like to hear it? No. Yes, I would. I have no idea. Let's hear this song. Okay. It's a great topic. Nothing. You have a very confused look on your face. It's a very different Manson. I don't know if you did the right research. 
I'm sorry? Yeah, no, this wasn't the kid from Wonder Years who could suck his own dick. This is Charles Manson, not Marilyn Manson. I got all my ribs removed. <laughs> I started with a couple and I still couldn't reach it and just kept going up. Now I'm ribless and I still can't reach it. Oh, you know what? If you didn't leave after a month, you weren't leaving after that. That's for sure. <laughs> well, okay. I guess I do have some of the correct music if we would like to sample that. Yeah. Yeah. We okay. That. Yeah. This is actually Charles Manson's music. Yeah. Not a lot of people know this exists. And a three, and a two. And... There's a time for living. The time keeps on flying. Think you're loving, baby, and all you're doing is crying. Can you feel? Ah, those feelings real. Look at your, your game, game girl. girl. Look at your game, girl. What a mad delusion. Not very good. No, yeah, that's uh, that is actual Charles Manson music. You can listen to the whole album on Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Um, it's not good. It's not good music. No, no. And he thought that was his key. Like he was, that was gonna be so great that it would carry him to stardom, and he'd be world famous. He thought he was gonna be. Bigger than the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Quote. Yeah. And so, um, obviously, it didn't work out for him, because that's probably the first time you ever heard that shit-ass song. And that's the best song on the album, by the way. I have listened to that album five times in preparation for this series. We're actually doing a series on Charles Manson. Um, Chris has also carved a swastika into his forehead. Well, it started out as an X. And then I was like, that's not cool enough. Let me put a little vine here, a line. Oh, no, what did I do? It's permanent. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good album. We'll we'll probably talk about his music a little bit more in part two when we get to him dealing with the Beach Boys and all that stuff. This this episode's all about his criminal past and how his upbringing kind of fucked him up. Um, You can kind of see how he became who he became, but uh, we're going to get into all that. Gregory, today our source is Manson, The Life and Times of Charles Manson by Jeff Ginn. And that is the first time I've said his name correctly on this podcast, because we've done a few shows featuring books by Jeff Ginn. What would you think of the book? I enjoyed this book quite a bit. We're going to do a multi-part series on this story, and it's just because... Again, he does a really good job of researching and referencing things. He's a very good writer. As, you know, we don't say, hey, what did Jeff Ginn write about? Let's do a show on that. We say, let's do a show. And it's like, oh, shit, this guy did a book on it. And we knew he was so good from our Jonestown and Tombstone shows. So we're like, well, let's check it out. He does such a good job researching it that you're like, oh, man, this is this is way better than any other source I could find. You know, I, I agree about that. It's. We definitely don't hunt out authors. We just hunt out subjects and then look at the available authors and, you know, obviously the reviews of the books. But he's by no means like an Eric Larson. Right. From uh, Devil in the White City, the H.H. Holmes show we did. Yeah. Where he just kind of like fills in the blanks. Yeah, he tells a story. No, man. This is supposed to be like historical. It's supposed to be accurate. Yeah. This is nonfiction. Mm, Don't do that. You won't read a Jeff Ginn book when you get to set page 700 and said, oh, by the way, 
I just kind of thought this is how it would feel in the moment. Yes, exactly. Like, what the uh, fuck? I don't like that. Every time we've done a Jeffkin book, it's just been fantastic. The guy does a lot of research and it's very good. So very confident in selling all of our listeners. Go out and read this book after you listen to us tell the story and put dick jokes and stuff in it. Or don't. Yeah, readings for losers. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Idiots like us. Well, Chris, you uh, ready to get into the mm, meat and potatoes of this story? Yeah, you know I am. That's all I can afford to eat is ground chuck and rotten potatoes. <laughs> uh, well, let's go, Daddy. <laughs> all right. Well, Charles Shirley Manson was born on November 12th, 1934, but the story actually begins with his mother, Kathleen. She was born in 1918, and her dad kicked the bucket in 1931 when she was just 13 years old, leaving her mother to raise her alone. And her mom, Nancy, was an incredibly strict member of the Nazarene Church, which had rules like, you know, girls couldn't wear sleeveless tops, they couldn't wear makeup, they couldn't cut their hair, and of course, things like movies, drinking, cursing, having sex, and dancing were strictly forbidden. For the most part, Kathleen didn't care about any of that, but no one was going to tell her not to dance. It's funny because there was this like empty space between the cabinet and stove in their kitchen, and Kathleen would sneak in and like practice her jitterbug, you know, just sitting there <laughs> shucking and jiving <laughs> yeah. as you as you do. It's so wholesome. That's like the most wholesome rebellion that I've ever heard of. Like in modern days, if they had that space, like her brother would come out like actively masturbating. You're like you hear the <laughs> the Pornhub soundtrack and you pull it up and he's like, Why are you looking at transsexual porn on your phone? Stepmother, what are you doing to me? <laughs> yeah. But now but back then it was Hey, I'm I'm doing the jitterbug. Hey, jitterbug. Do do I want a jitterbug. Do. He put the boom boom into my heart. Here's all I've in my start. No, that's just that's just so wholesome and so crazy that that was her rebellion. I I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, and then you know my rebellion was I, I was like eleven. I'd steal my dad's porn tape <laughs> tape like cassette yes, tape yes and then always made sure I rewound or fast forward to the exact, exact moment point. that I yeah. got it out. Yeah, you know. But I'd be like. Fucking the couch or something. God, if I would have gotten caught doing that, it would have been one of those just mom walks in home early from work. <laughs> oh, no, don't look at me. No. <laughs> I'm sick, mom. I'm sick. <laughs> no, you're just a fucking, you know, boy going through puberty. No big deal. <laughs> now, if it had been my stepmom, mm -hmm. <laughs> different story. <laughs> Apparently, that's the kink these days. All of a sudden, Kelsey Grammer starts playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you help me, stepmom? I'm stuck in this couch. And she pulls out the strap on. And you're like, oh no, that's not what I meant. It's not what I meant. Oh, wait. Maybe it was. Hello. <laughs> I see you're already strapped in. Just go ahead and strap me in. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> Were we talking about a story? or I don't know. Who cares? Oh, okay. Yeah. When she was 15, 
Kathleen began sneaking into the town of Ironton, Ohio, to dance in the nightclubs. It was here that she met a strapping, handsome, 23-year-old married con man named Colonel Scott. And no, that wasn't a military rank. That was his actual fucking name. But he told poor, dumb child Kathleen he was a colonel in the U.S. Army. And of course, she fell for it. It didn't help. He also kept her drunk as much as he could. And another scam he and his brother ran was setting up fake toll booths on bridges and charging people a dime to cross them. Just uh, pretty setting genius. up shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People were like, oh yeah, sure, here you go. This bridge what? has been here for 40 years. This bridge was here when the Ottoman Empire was a fucking thing. Now I gotta pay toll. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. You gotta blame the governor. Look, I just work here. Give me, give me the dime. <laughs> Can you imagine him laying down his game? He's like, yeah, I'm Colonel Scott. She's like, in the army? He's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, in the army. I'm a colonel, Hell baby. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ain't no popcorn colonel, obviously, in the army. He's like handing her balloons and a teddy bear. And suddenly Chris Hansen pops out. And you know she's 14. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> no, she's just my friend. I was giving these gifts to my friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why do you have the 1,057 pack of condoms, then? It's the swinging 20s. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> you never know, Chris. <laughs> my pack of condoms every time we do this joke goes up, by the way. Oh, yeah. The number. Yeah. I don't even think Chris Hansen has done this show in like 18 years, but we still reference it like, here he comes, here's Chris Hansen popping up. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Thank you. Well, in the spring of 1934, Kathleen found out she was teen pregnant. She told Colonel Scott, who immediately said he had been called away on military business, but he'd be back real soon. And she's like, makes sense to me, you're a colonel. We're at peace right now, but I'm sure you have to immediately go. <laughs> See you in a couple days. Yeah. Like, I'm pregnant. Oh, fuck, the army just called me. Mm. He, like, picks up the imaginary phone, the thumb and the finger, but she's a teen <laughs> from a tiny town in West Virginia. She's like, oh, that makes sense. He picked up the phone, and he's like, oh, what? what's that? What's that? Yes. Oh, oh we're going to war with Indochina. Hmm, that's interesting. It's West Virginia, so she'd never seen a real phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she just believed that's where technology had come. They just climbed up tall trees and yelled at each other from great distances. That's That was their communication system. Well, I think it was once they um, would empty their illegal whiskey stills mm -hmm. that are in the woods. Yeah. They would then speak into them, and the natural <laughs> cavity of it would project... And amplify the voice. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's still what happens in I was West about to say, if you go to West Virginia now, it's basically the same thing. I've watched the History Channel. Mm -hmm. So I know that that happens. I know there's ancient aliens. <laughs> and I can get a good goddamn deal at a pawn shop. <laughs> well, I got a friend who's an expert on whiskey stills from West Virginia. And he's going to come in today and tell me how much of this thing's really worth. And then we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, the expert. Give me the whiskey. I'll tell you how much it's worth now. Uh, 
Sir, you sound an awful lot like my friend Hambone. Oh, you don't say. worry about that. <laughs> you also look an awful lot like him, and you're attached to my arm. <laughs> well, except you got this weird ass chin beard and a straw hat on while you're talking. <laughs> well, I'm not him, but uh, why don't you show me your dick while we're at it? <laughs> oh, you're Hambone. God damn it. <laughs> Where's your cousin Hand? We'll see what he looks like. <laughs> Well, even after Colonel Scott said, I'm going off to war in, you know, 1934, it still took Kathleen a few months to realize that he was full of shit and he wasn't coming back. Like, literally, she sat in the kitchen at her mom's house, watching the door, waiting for him to come through it. Like a sad puppy dog. Like, just, <laughs> he'll be home soon, baby. And she's petting his head. Yeah, it's okay. Maybe the uh, insanity in the Manson line started earlier than most people think. I will say I've said horrible shit on this podcast, and I've done horrible things in my life, but nothing makes me feel worse. Like, I leave the house, and I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot my phone. I come back, and the dogs are waiting at the door. So happy to see me. Like, you were gone forever. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm leaving right now. And then you kick them. <laughs> get out of my way. I'm trying to get my phone. <laughs> Stupid oh, but you, you love me so much, idiots. Go uh. lick your own ass, luckies. <laughs> well, Nancy soon met and married 25-year-old William Manson. And remember, she was 15 years old when she married 25-year-old William Manson. Which, I guess, is just okay back then. Like, okay, he's fine, he wants to marry you. That's that's Jesus like, right? That the Bible says be married and have sex. Be married. It's cool. Not even a hundred years ago. No, it's crazy. Ah, times were better. <laughs> Don't, you can't say that. You can't oh. say that. <laughs> no, I, I just meant you know we're not in all these wars and stuff. That's what I meant. <laughs> not in all these wars. <laughs> and so Charles Miles Manson was born that November. And his actual birth certificate actually says, no name, baby Maddox. Like, he doesn't have a name when he's born. Well, even though he was the no name Maddox baby, William Manson was actually listed as the father. Even though Kathleen had probably told him that Charles's real dad was a colonel who must have died in the war. Otherwise, he would have come home by then. And William Manson was like, what? What fucking? What war? It's 1930. We're at peace. Frankin' Roosevelt has led us to peace and prosperity. What is wrong with you? You're like, oh, it's a secret war. It goes to school in Canada. You wouldn't know it. We're an isolationist country. We're never going to be at war again. <laughs> we don't know a lot about William Manson because he and Kathleen would only be married for two years before he disappeared into obscurity. The same way I plan on leaving my marriage, by the way. You know, name change, sex change, all that. Just, uh... <laughs> You'll never find me again. Even though I'm not planning on moving, so my wife will still see me at the, the grocery store. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, do I know you? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think we've met. It's like, is that your girl voice? Shut up, woman. <laughs> I just say it's deeper than your man voice. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> I'm more authoritative as a woman, I'm just saying. Well, it seems that sweet, innocent, 16-year-old Kathleen 
had the habit of disappearing for days to go dancing, drinking, and fucking before returning home to William, where she presumably rinsed off her body glitter in a cold can of SpaghettiOs called Willie a Cuck and then disappeared on another <laughs> adventure. <laughs> you get paid yet? You get paid this week? Oh, no. Oh, what a fucking bitch. I'll see you next week, daddy. <laughs> and so, William Anson filed for divorce. Kathleen moved back in with her mom, bringing along little Charlie. But her mom kept telling her that she was screwing up her life, at which point Kathleen shouted, You don't even know my life, Mom! I want to dance! Oh, you want to stop me? You're like the parents in Footloose, a movie that won't come out for... 50 years. <laughs> and then she moved in with her sister in Charleston. I actually ran into her at the uh, Hot Topic when I was doing research for this show. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah? Well, when I thought it was about Marilyn Manson. Oh, yeah. You know, I was going there to buy a bunch of edgy stuff, and she was rebelling. We were in some weird time warp. You know. <laughs> that's that's like, how Hot Topic works. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, like... 80-something years. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> what were you saying? No, no, make the joke work. Keep going, Greg. I can't. <laughs> I can't. It's too strong. <laughs> well, within months, Kathleen had proved her mother right and had fucked her life up real good. On August 1st, 1939, Kathleen went out partying with a friend named Julia. That night, they met a man named Frank Martin, who drove a sweet-ass convertible and flashed a lot of cash when he bought the girls some cheese. And we're not, like, exaggerating. He bought them literal cheese. Yeah, like, made from milk and salt. Yeah, yeah. cheese. He pulls up, he's like, what do you girls like? And like, hey, we like some cheddar, see? He's like, oh, well, I know just... The place. <laughs> yeah, he's not like a fat boy that lifts up his fupa that hasn't bathed in like yeah, right. two he's months. He's like, oh, I got some cheese for you. You want some cheese? <laughs> <laughs> I do feel bad for this guy. Well, I sort of feel bad for this guy because I kind of picture him as the guy who's been married for like 25 years. His kids are teenagers. He got married like like 17 or whatever. He's like, you know what? I'm going to step out on my wife. It's He like he, he like installed Tinder on his phone a couple times secretly and they got a couple matches he's like ladies think i'm attractive what am i doing in my life and he's like okay let's find somebody he pulls up along with these girls They're like we like cheese he's like oh, i know what you mean and he just panics has like this flop sweat while he's sitting there and they're eating brie on a cracker he's like oh <laughs> uh so uh you girls like sex oh god no i'm sorry i shouldn't have said that <laughs> Is that inappropriate? My niece told me it was inappropriate. I'm sorry. You guys like doing the floss? I can do the floss real good. I watch YouTubes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they then went to a beer hall where Kathleen called her brother Luther and told him she had just met a man who had too much money for his own good. We need to help this guy out. Yeah. Hey, we need to relieve help. him of some of his... Financial burdens. Right. And by financial burdens, I mean he has too much in his favor. Way too much money. This guy is fucking loaded. Come take some. <laughs> we need to uh, make it, we even it out a little bit, yeah. you know? Yeah. That way Just, he doesn't feel so bad about being so rich on the inside. 
You've seen Disney's Robin Hood. It just came out this 30s. I don't know when that movie came out, but you've seen it. And, you know, maybe we should steal from the poor. Right, sorry. We saw it at the Hot Topic with that boy from 2021. <laughs> I'm not a boy, I'm a man, goddammit! And mom! <laughs> they were playing And a, wife! Ironically, because it was so old for them, but you're like, what is this devilry? This, this fox is singing! Oh my god! <laughs> I'm going back to my Marilyn Manson tunes! <laughs> Well, Luther showed up and acted like he was there to party and want to go somewhere else. And this is why I think it's kind of like a cheating on your wife deal, because, like, the third guy shows up and he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with that girl. We can hang out this party guy. And he's like, you know, it does sound fun. It just sound like a party. You know, my wife's making a meatloaf. I can just tell her I'm late from work. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> they all hopped in Frank Martin's car and took off. At some point, Luther pulled over, told Frank to get out, and then stuck a ketchup bottle full of salt against Martin's back and told him he had a gun and this was a robbery. Stick him up, boys. Yeah. I stole one of those bottles from on the border once, by the way. A little Corona bottle full of salt. Did you? I thought it'd be... I was broke as fuck, and I had a girlfriend, and I thought it'd be really cute if I took that bottle and put M&Ms in it and like rinsed it out like a thousand times and bubbles are coming out, and I put M&Ms, and they all turn funky colors in there. Like you probably you probably shouldn't eat that. That that's a that's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried to do something. I'm sorry. I uh, I don't know. I, I, is this a true story? This is a true story. No. I was I was 38 at the time, but you know, I just I didn't have any money. No, so it was last year. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. True story, by the way. When I was 18, I was like, I'm fucking broke. Like stole this bottle. I'm like this is gonna make a cute gift. I'll give her some balloons from the grocery store with this bottle. Oh God! I deflated the balloons in the bathroom, snuck them out, reinflated them. <laughs> yeah, they're just falling on the ground because it's just pure CO two <laughs> from my mouth. <laughs> you you try to sneak it out of the grocery store with the helium still in your lungs. <laughs> Somebody stops you. Like, have a good day, sir. Yeah. <laughs> just running full sprint to your car yeah. <laughs> that guy had a really high voice the next time I come back and I'm wearing a dress I'm like hey guys I've transitioned <laughs> like how did that work that's the no opposite direction you fucking moron <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have the dress? <laughs> Did you make sure to take a little out of the crotch? <laughs> Do you guys know where I can find some tampons? What? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a mouthful of alcohol. God damn it, don't do that to me. <laughs> Give me the fucking tampons. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even though he had a ketchup bottle on his back and, you know, Luther said that was a gun, Frank didn't believe him. And so Luther smashed the bottle over Frank's head, stole his wallet and the car and fled the location. And you know what they call that when you smash a bottle like that over somebody's head? Being assaulted. Assault? Because uh, yeah. uh, it's salt. Uh, ah, 
yes. You son of a bitch. <laughs> he did hey. it again. He did it again. Hey. Oh. Two things. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> that's not a weapon. Yeah, it is, motherfucker. <laughs> Bam. Bam. It's just a different kind of weapon than I was <laughs> yeah. pretending it to be. Uh, and also, did you know, and I know you did because we have the same source. <laughs> Did you know, listener, it turned out that Frank Martin only had $27 in his pocket. And to be fair, that is like $8,000 in today's money. <laughs> so th- they made out like bandits. I, I guarantee, like I said, I think he's that guy who's stepping on his wife trying to show off for the young girls. He's like, look at all this money. He pulls out this big wad of bills and the top was a 20, which back then is like a thousand bucks. And he's like, don't look at the bills under it, please. God damn it. (laughs) Well, that case was solved pretty much immediately. Kathleen and Julia hadn't disguised their identities at all and robbed Frank after leaving the bar where everybody knows their name. Oh, no. That's a Cheers reference. Kathleen was arrested and sentenced to five years in gin pop. Little five-year-old Charlie Manson was sent to live with his super-religious aunt and uncle in McMetchen, West Virginia. Charlie was a little shit, plain and simple. He constantly broke and stole things and lied about fucking everything. Look, if he'd steal something and his mom's like, why'd you steal that? He's like, because you don't give me enough and it's your fault. Or the neighbor kid told me to do it. It's like, we live like 18 miles away from the nearest neighbor. Well, he, you know, I saw him on the road the other day. And he said, you better steal that penny whistle, child. I'm like, okay. Okay, growing adult neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> what was that you said you had in your basement? <laughs> Hover bikes. You gotta, just got to come down and see it. It floats in the air. <laughs> well, as long as that candy's part of the deal, I'm in. <laughs> I'm sure I'll turn out fine and nothing will ever go wrong in my entire life. Right. (laughs) I'll be a naturally well-developed person capable of living in a society. If only that was the worst thing that happened to Charlie Manson. Mm -hmm. And so, when he turned five in November 1939, his aunt and uncle were so stoked they could send him off to school for seven hours a day. But this, too, was just another disastrous turn in the life of young Chuck. It turns out his teacher was a lady named Miss Varner, who was known for being a real bitch to the kids. And I can say that because she was. It's not a it's not a derogatory term for all women. It's just for her. She was a bitch. Yeah, if she was a he, he could still be a bitch. Right. Exactly. She organized the seating order by how much she liked the kids. The favorite sat in the front and went all the way down to the last seat in the back row, where she sat the kids she assumed were lost causes. On his first fucking day, this is where she sat Charlie. And she browbeat him so much that he ran home crying. Like, how do you feel good about yourself after that? Like, I'm a, I'm a fantastic educator. Like, I think there was a, a lot more tough love opinion yeah, back yeah. then, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, as with most of our stories, it's very hard to see certain actions or beliefs 
in the lens of today. Right. But this wasn't that long ago. No, this is like, 80 years why, ago. Yeah. Why would anybody think that would be effective? That's how you raise kids. Right. It's, oh. I don't know. It's weird. Welcome to first grade. By the way, they didn't have kindergarten back then, so it was just straight. This is your first exposure to school. First day is there, like, oh, fuck, this is the best you're going to get. <laughs> you know? Hey, little boy, I'm your teacher. Get the fuck in the back <laughs> now, <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> you got to earn my respect. <laughs> Pussies on the pavements, five-year-olds. Start doing push-ups. Push the fucking ground <laughs> No <laughs> Well you gotta remember You know 1934 Let's say this is a 50 year old lady She grew up in hard times man She's like oh, I've seen a lot of shit You know it's, uh, These kids are gonna be soft as fuck If I don't you know, immediately Degrade them and make them feel terrible About themselves otherwise you know, they, It's true you gotta harden them Right <laughs> immediately Steel sharpened steel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Five-year-olds. <laughs> Listen here, you little cuck fuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, miss, what is a cuck? You, you're a fucking cuck. <laughs> yeah. You have to ask that question, you're automatically cucked. <laughs> miss Varner, I tried making a snake out of my Play-Doh. It's not coming around. Listen here, you pussy bitch. <laughs> this isn't that hard. Give up on your dreams. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go sit against the wall, the invisible chair, for five minutes now. Oh, oh God, the invisible chair. Ooh, uh. I'm going to fuck your dad. I'm really, <laughs> really going to cuck you right, right while you sit in that invisible chair. And this is why that fetish exists. Yep. This generation. <laughs> right, that's where it started. Yep. They were five-year-olds that had to watch... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, Charlie's Uncle Bill wasn't having none of that shit. He immediately made an angry post in his dad group on Facebook, emailed the superintendent, and called the local news to report Mrs. Varner's outrageous actions. This is bullshit. We're going to take care of this now. Ugh, actually, Greg, it was 1939. And Uncle Bill said, crying is for girls, and thus he sent Charlie to school the next day wearing a dress. Wait, you mean this is the same guy that grew up and influenced a lot of people to to murder others? Yeah, yeah, no. Oh. I, I don't know how childhood trauma ties into that, but yeah. <laughs> Probably a strange coincidence, but it's an interesting anecdote, I won't lie. But while we're on the subject... It was the uh, dress of his eight-year-old cousin, and Charlie was a tiny kid, so it like just kind of hung off of him. <laughs> yeah. Like when a kid's playing Ghost, or he's like walking through the house with his dad's boots on, it looked right. fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this is just me speaking. Yeah. But if you're going to send me to school in a dress, at least make it something that shows off my ass, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> Made my nice. nips poking through. A little bit of black with vertical stripes, so, you know, it kind of gives the illusion that you're thin. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, just really, and, and the stripes, they aren't actually vertical. They kind of come together a little bit around uh, the midsection. Yeah. Give even more of that illusion that, like, oh, no, that's just, that's conforming to uh, his 
slash her skinny abdomen. You yeah, That's you want right. to do, do that catwalk strut into the, the classroom. Mm-hmm. But then the stripes come back out around the crotch area. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, there's an obvious bulge there. <laughs> this is one obvious. sexy lady. <laughs> do this, the catwalk thing and that, that pose that all the girls do where they put their hand on their hip and like stick it way out, you know? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. eat, eat your heart out, Miss Farner. Your husband hadn't touched you in 30 fucking years, you old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been loving this dick. <laughs> no. No, <you> <laughs> Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Uh, yes, I can. <laughs> Barack Obama told me, yes, I can. And I'm going to. Ah, <laughs> uh, Okay. Well, it was around this time that Charlie developed a love for music. He hated going to church, but once there, he loved to sing. Could seemingly learn songs on the piano by ear. But he was still a little shit. <laughs> I love God Yeah I love me Some God Yeah Woo Standing up on the pew I love God Give me some God Give me some God I got some God girl Give me some God Give me some guy. I got some guy, girl. He's still wearing the dress, by the way. <laughs> and then, like, Charlie, we're singing Amazing Grace. But that voice, that voice is fantastic. Though he does that in the middle of the sermon. It's not even yeah. the singing part. He just loves singing in church. Yeah. <laughs> but he was still a little shit. And for some reason, Charlie was struggling at his McMachin school. And so, when his mom Kathleen was released in early 1942, she and Charlie moved to Charleston to live on their own. And once again, things went straight to shit. Kathleen married a dude she met in Alcoholics Anonymous named Lewis, not Newis. Mother. Old reference for you guys. I hope somebody gets it. Well, Lewis immediately started drinking. He couldn't hold a job. And he spent all day telling Charlie he was a piece of crap. This is kind of a running theme. Like, she'd have different boyfriends. Lewis was kind of the serious boyfriend, but every one of them were like, who's that creepy kid over there? Like, what's wrong with that fucking kid? He just, uh, over there in his dress, like, strutting his shit. Like, what is that song he's playing? Why is it saying, I'm too sexy for my shirt? That seems anachronous for this time, this 1940s. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But Charlie became obsessed with knives and guns and constantly skipped school to go to the store as mom worked to steal things and beg for money for strangers. Like, she she was working. She couldn't send him back to school. He's like, just hanging out all day. Like, hey, lady, I need a penny for some candy. Like, oh, my car broke down six miles down the road. I'm out of gas, you know. My wife's down there. Like, you're six. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's the 40s. This adds up, you know? It's, uh, she's like, okay, here you go. Here's a pen. Anyway, you want to buy this diamond or not? <laughs> right. It's a real diamond. Opens up his coat. He's got a bunch of watches hanging from it. What is wrong with this kid? Is His mom's like, I don't know what to do with him. You know, he's incorrigible. <laughs> <laughs> Things continued that way until Charlie was 12, and his mom sent him to live at a reform school. 
Charlie hated it, so naturally he broke out, stole a car and a gun, robbed a casino and a grocery store, and was arrested and sent to yet another reform school. He would later claim that while he was at this second reform school, he was repeatedly sodomized by the bigger, stronger boys. Yeah, and if you read his book, his Manson on Manson, it's obviously complete bullshit because it's him trying to spin a story. Right. But there's a lot of stuff that supposedly happens at this second school that's just wheels off crazy. Like the guards, like they had a dairy, and the guards would take like the cow shit and shove it up his ass and say, he's lubricated up for you, boys. Like, okay, calm down. Let's let's calm down, Charlie. Now, that, that, like, it's the 40s, and I get it. It's, you know, a child's reform school in Indiana, but that didn't fucking happen. Yeah, but this is also a crazy person. Yes, absolutely. And I know that a lot of things, you know, in his childhood contributed to what he did. Or yeah. That's at least my belief, and I think yeah. yours too. I agree, yeah. But I think there's also a point to be made about how he is already off kilter. Yeah. And I, th- I think you just get those two things combined, and that's what can create this monster. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then, like, all this comes, like I said, that that's his story. And that comes after he's been arrested and detained. So his oh, sure. year, yeah. years to think about the things that made him who he is, right? And mm-hmm. years to perfect this crazy Charlie Manson persona. Oh, for sure. And we'll get into that later, where there's times where, like, like when he's in court later on, he's acting like batshit insane, but then he goes back with the bailiffs who have told him, if you act like that, I'll beat the shit out of you. And he's perfectly normal. Like yeah. he's he's a normal dude. He knows how to ham it up, and then no, he he was certainly like calculating. He wasn't yeah. out of his fucking mind, right? I just think he was already off kilter, and then some shit did happen to him when he was a kid. Yeah, no, you're right. That no, made he... him a certain way, but no, they're not doing all that shit. They're not shoving poo poo up his poo poo hole, that's, right? That's, that's ludicrous. Not... It goes out, stupid. Yeah, <laughs> come on, <laughs> he can't go in there. <laughs> Well, between the time he was 12 and the time he was 19, Charlie Manson would spend time in six different reform schools, which you might have gathered by now is just an old fancy term for juvenile detention. Like, they weren't trying to reform anybody. Just, uh, let's lock up these fucking kids. He fell into a pattern of breaking out, robbing people, getting caught easily, and being sent to a tougher reform school before he realized that good behavior would get him released, and he started acting somewhat normal. Yeah, and he had actually been eligible for release when he was 16, but uh, well, he was mm-hmm. he was caught sodomizing another inmate while holding a razor blade to his throat. Yeah. That's... So this dude is straight up a rapist. <laughs> yes, just and uh, I just learned this today, actually. I just learned this today. He, he said later on that that kid had actually wanted the intercourse but he was afraid of being outed as homosexual, so he said, if we get caught, I'll pretend like I'd forced you to do this. Like, that was his rationalization for the guard walking in while he's railing this poor crying boy with a fucking razor blade hold to his throat. He's yeah. Fucking, yeah. No, he's full of Don't shit. Don't believe that one at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, once he was released, Charlie moved back to the town of McMechon, West Virginia, to live with his God-fearing grandmother, and she would certainly be able to guide him to a better life. And I'm sure Greg will have absolutely nothing to add to this story after the break we are taking right fucking now. 
Yeah, uh, just to clue you guys in, after the break, it's basically going to be me just thanking you for joining us, uh, <laughs> letting you in on the joke that this was actually a one-part series, not a three-part series, yeah. and mm-hmm. that we're, we're actually done, and then the outro music will play. Yeah, you know? yeah, so come back for that. Sounds good. Yeah. See you guys shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. might be fibbing. <laughs> All right, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed it. Greg, it is time for a song that is so much better than anything Charles Manson would ever produce. And again, we'll get into that a little bit more next week. But anyway, it is time for Second Half Seltzer. Second Half Seltzer. Second Half Seltzer. Second Half Seltzer. I did air guitar, even though I don't know how to play guitar. Both hands were doing the the, the chords. Is that how it works? Like that? Basically. Okay, yeah. good. Basically. All right. Three, two, one. Yeah, you only heard one pop because I'm drunk and already popped mine. But that's fine. It happens to every guy. Or so I tell my wife. Not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So I tell my wife, even though she's like, no, I know that's false. <laughs> yes. Like, well, this day and age, it is true. And she's like, mm, no, I know that's false, too. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, I'm enjoying a iced tea seltzer. It's very strange. It's a little weird. I didn't think about it before I bought them, but it's a little weird because carbonated tea is just strange in of itself. And then you add some fruit flavors and aspartame and all that. But, um, you know what? Cool get- fucking story. Thank you. Think, well, it's just for our listeners, in case they're out there right now, standing in front of the, the seltzer section in the liquor store, they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Thank God I waited till this moment, and Chris told me not to buy the teas. Second half seltzer. <laughs> Second half seltzer. Second half No, Christopher. No. Okay, fine. All right, well, enjoy your seltzer while Greg tells you the second half of the story. (laughs) Well, after he moved in with his grandma, Charlie actually did walk the straight and narrow for a while. He started going to church with her each week. He got a job as a janitor at the local horse track. And he started learning the guitar and learned a few basic, very basic chords before deciding he had mastered the instrument and was God's gift to music. When he was 20, Charlie met and married a cute, popular girl named Rosalie Willis. Pretty much everyone in McMechan thought Charlie was a weirdo on the edge of society, and so when he and Rosalie got married, the townsfolk just assumed he had knocked her up. But she didn't get pregnant until well after they had been wed. Sadly, the reform schools hadn't reformed Charlie, and his minimum wage job at the horse track wasn't quite enough to keep him from deciding it was once more... Time to start stealing things. He began going across the river to Ohio and stealing cars. In 1955, he decided McMechan sucked and decided to steal a car and move with Rosalie to California, where his mother Kathleen had moved. Now, pretty much as soon as he got to Los Angeles, a cop saw the stolen car and arrested him. Okay. 
This is a the first in a long string of Charlie Manson is a terrible fucking criminal. You made it all the way across country in the stolen car. Ditch the fucking stolen car, right? Like it's it's L.A. They got buses and trolleys and shit. Why I made it this far? <laughs> right. <laughs> You're never gonna catch me. This is just my fucking car now. <laughs> fucking idiot. Well, Charlie, being the criminal genius that he was, he pled guilty and during his plea hearing told the court he had also stolen a car in Florida. He was given a psychological evaluation and the doctor said, This dude's crazy, but he's married and about to have a kid, so let's go easy on him. This is still, he, he's a country bumpkin right. in California uh, because it's this is basically gold rush times. <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> Just subtract 100 years. It's gold rush time. Okay? Right. Yeah. Well, Charlie was given parole, but he was scared that he was going to go to prison for stealing the car in Florida. So he skipped his next court date and booked it to sunny, sunny Indianapolis. Oh, this guy, like I said, he's an idiot criminal. He's in court. They're like, hey, we know you stole his car in Virginia. And drove it all the way to California. He's like, yeah, but I bet you don't know about the one in Florida, you fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that later. He's like, oh, fuck. I don't want to talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. I ain't coming back. I ain't coming back. Double jeopardy, right? I'm like, no, that's not how it works, you fucking moron. He's like, oh. Daily double. <laughs> it's a daily double, right? <laughs> Who is not a criminal? Answer, me. All right, we're good here. What did I wager? Fucking everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listener, wouldn't you know it? He was promptly arrested and sent back to California, where he was sentenced to three years in federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison. (laughs) Yeah, and like I said, he'd been evaluated when he was arrested, and they said, "Ah, you know, maybe he'll have a kid, he has a wife, he'll be fine. He'd actually been evaluated when he left reform school, and they said this dude is impossible to rehabilitate. Like, there is no hope for this motherfucker. And I just picture this guy, like, 20 years later, he's like, fucking told you. Fucking. (laughs) I got him. Uh, (laughs) Why didn't you keep him in prison? Well, yeah, you know, it's tough. It's tough keeping guys in prison. Fuck you. Shut up, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) And this is something that we're going to get into uh, later in the Fast Facts. But Charles Manson seems really, really fucking dumb, right? He's an idiot. Yeah. But he's got this, you know, this above average and not a lot, but an above average IQ. And I feel like more than anything, that just really maybe casts dispersion on the IQ test system. More than anything. Because this guy, like, he's not there. He makes really bad decisions. And I get that a lot of that can be attributed to mental illness, but right, it's like there's just some really dumb things that he had to actually think about to make decisions on. Yeah, he's one of these guys who is intelligent, but, you know, he, he doesn't think things through. He's He's very smart. He can come up with things after the fact, but when it's happening, he doesn't have a lot of forethought. Oh, so he's circumcised. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's foreskin, but yes, it's very similar. <laughs> oh. 
Okay. So he's brain circumcised. <laughs> yes, he's Go brain ahead. circumcised. Yes. But he, and we're going to see this going forward. He's very good at manipulating people and making them believe what he wants them to believe. But at the same time, I don't feel like he is a, a planner. He's not a, a guy who can see the future and say, this is how this is going to go. He can only see the next move. Yeah, that completely makes sense. Good old Charlie was sent to Terminal Island, where he became very interested in talking to the pimps about how to recruit and control young women. Which, I mean, like, if they had weekend passes. Right. <laughs> but, like... On the way in, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, you get a weekend pass to go out, but there has to be a free person that's going to be willing to come in and take mm-hmm. your place. Yes. Yeah. I would go in just to learn this skill. <laughs> right. You know, how to manipulate people. I can't even get my wife to, like, cook dinner. And these guys are like, well, here's how <laughs> you make women bend to your will. Hey, what what's that book that uh, Charlie read? How to influence people, and I don't remember. It's it's later on. Do you have it? You have the fucking book. Yes. Did you have it before this? Yes. <laughs> Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes, he had it before. That's why I'm doing this fucking podcast. It's very yeah. thin. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I've never read it, but I have it because one day. Apparently, I plan, go, I plan to go fucking ape shit. <laughs> yeah. You've already and talked I about how you can, people. <laughs> you can start your own cult. Like you're like within six weeks, I can get them to kill themselves. Six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, these pimps in prison, they taught Charlie that you had to find girls with self-esteem issues. I mean, duh. All right, all right. Those are my early twenties. <laughs> Well, this is all, is, uh, a lot of this information is going to sound very duh to our modern listeners, but back then, we're talking about, like, his mom got hooked into believing a guy was a colonel in the army because he said his name was Colonel. You're like, okay. I'm Colonel Sanders. You want some chicken, baby? <laughs> Let me give you this chicken strip. <laughs> oh, it looks all fried. Oh, don't worry about that. That's just general warts. Uh, anyway. Well, so, you know, you find these girls with self-esteem issues. Then you'd separate them from their friends and family and mix affectionate gestures with brutal beatings. They taught them to avoid intelligent women and women who had actual mental health issues. But most of all, they taught them that the girls had to love him and fear him at the same time. And this reminds me a little bit of doo-doo Jesus. Like, what would what would he say? Like, come on, baby. Smear a little of this doo-doo up, on, uh, up onto that chin. Maybe a couple under your eyes. Look like a battlefield soldier, baby. I'm black, yeah. Look like a regular NFL football player. Oh, girl. I got that doo-doo. I got that doo-doo. Jesus coming to town and he ain't leaving. He's here to stay due to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That's still a better song than anything Manson ever wrote. No, but this does make you think of any time you see these like kids who are 14 or 15 and they go on the Amber Alert 
or where they're missing kids. I'm like, some dude online talked them into leaving home and coming out with them. They got trafficked. It's, it's a very sad story, but that's kind of what Manson was going for. You know, like, you have issues at home. Why don't you just run away? Come stay with me, girl. Like, you can love me. I will be your new parental guy, dad, person, but also, you know. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of what these pimps taught him, and we're going to go forward and we're going to see that that's exactly what he does. He, he preys on the young girl. Soon after Charlie went to prison, Rosalie gave birth to a son that they named Charles Jr. How original. <laughs> right? At first, she visited Charlie in prison pretty often, but soon decided that living in an apartment with her mother-in-law and taking care of a baby while trying to find time to... Visit her convict husband wasn't the glamorous California life she had hoped for. She divorced Charlie and moved back to sunny, beachy, extremely tan weathery and skiing weathery, West Virginia. Mm. It's almost heaven. It's whatever. They got the Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River, you know, country roads. That, uh, what do you call it? Mm, Oh, racism. Oh. No, no. That's not what I meant at all. No. no, 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 no. Aside from learning what he could from the pimps, Charlie soon found a book in the prison library titled How to Win Friends and Influence People, as we have previously mentioned. Why do you have that book? Dude, that is like a, uh, it's a renowned book. Yeah, it is. It is. Like you're about to say, yeah, no, it's, it's a big deal. But uh, I don't have it. I don't care about friends. You would if you knew how to win and influence them. (laughs) I didn't realize it was that old, but now that I'm looking at the cover, it does say over 75 years in print. Jesus. Yeah. That's that's an accomplishment. It is. Well, it had been written in 1936 by a salesman named Dale Carnegie and went on to sell 5 million copies. One of them to your esteemed host, (laughs) main host, Greg. You're listening, you're like... Man, I don't know why I keep listening to this fucking shit-ass podcast, but there's something that keeps drawing me in. It's because I've fucking made you my friend and influenced (laughs) you. (sighs) The book taught him how to speak with people using wild gestures and constant eye contact. It also taught him how to manipulate people into doing what he wanted by making them think it had been their idea all along. Yeah, this would be his go-to going forward. He would say, hey, I don't want to murder somebody, but maybe maybe you want to kill somebody. I don't know. You know, maybe it's your idea that you want to go stab somebody a lot of times. How do you feel about uh, stabbing somebody and then feeling really good after? Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Cool, no, this, cool, is, cool. this is a very, it's a very strong negotiation tactic to make someone's idea or your idea sound like their ideas. You'd be like... Don't you agree that X, Y, and Z? And they're like, yeah, that makes sense to me. And they're like, well, if you agree that that's, that makes sense, then obviously it makes sense, right? Because you're a very intelligent person. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, then I'm going to go stab at an actress a hundred times while she's uh, screaming for mercy. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Thomas Jefferson did this a lot. Yeah, and absolutely. And this, this is kind of a form of the uh, the Socratic method. Yeah. That... I guess is attributed to Socrates of just like you you question things enough to where the person and then comes to their own conclusion. But it's your conclusion. Yes, no, you're aiming for it the entire time. 
but you get them there without trying to convince them of it uh, outwardly or on the surface. Right. It's the same thing Hamilton did to George Washington, where he's like, don't you think that two parties is a bad idea and being engaged in foreign wars is a bad idea? Washington is like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that that adds up to me. And then he puts that in his farewell address, and everyone quotes that to to this day, like, oh, we shouldn't be involved in foreign wars, and we shouldn't have all these parties in, pol- in politics. George Washington was a genius, and it's it's kind of the same thing. Like, he, he kind of, like, made him think what he wanted him to think, because like we said in that George Washington series, George Washington's farewell address is like, I'm sorry I was ever president. You know, uh, I didn't want this. They made me do it. I'm sorry, guys. Like, please, I'm not your king. Don't, don't hate me. And like, let's let's mix this up a little. Let's change this shit. Also, my slaves will be free uh, as soon as I die. Yeah, I'm a hero. <laughs> <laughs> now give me their teeth, because my teeth look weird. <laughs> well, old Charlie Chaplin Manson was released in 1959, but went straight into the life of being a pimp. You know, all that uh, jailhouse talk with mm-hmm. the pimps? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just for fun. No, no, he learned some this stuff. This man was yeah. building an empire right here, okay? Before his pimping business could get very far off the ground, Charlie was arrested for trying to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check. You know, he's trying to trying to cash that uh, forged stimmy check yep. for a whopping sum of $37.50. When he was arrested, he told the police he had stolen the check from a mailbox, which, huh! Wouldn't you know it, implicated him in a federal crime as well. This gets back to when he stole that car. Big ol' like, IQ, guys. Big ol' IQ. <laughs> he's like, I, I also stole that car in Florida you didn't know shit about. And now he's like, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, that's a fake check. I stole it from a mailbox. What the fuck, fuck are you going to do about fuck. it? <laughs> <laughs> well, he got a prostitute to testify that she was his girlfriend and she was pregnant. And so the judge felt sorry for him and gave him 10 years probation. Like, that shit worked again. Yeah. It did. Yeah. Yeah. And that probation, well, he violated it pretty much right away by stealing cars and taking his prostitutes into New Mexico and the great state of Texas to work. His probation was revoked, and he was sentenced to 10 years in federal. Pound me in the ass prison (laughs) once again. I I have two things actually here. He just got caught, looked like a fake ID, and that's how he got arrested. But his story, Manson in his own words, was he was in Mexico, and they don't trust the white man, but they have mushrooms. And he's like, give me some of those mushrooms. He's like, no, this is just for spiritual journeys. And supposedly, he pulls out a gun on one of these guys, like, points at him, and he's like, give me those mushrooms. And he's like, no, 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 man, we're not going to give you the mushrooms. He hands the gun to the Native American dude. And the Native American dude immediately sticks it in his stomach, pulls the trigger five times, and of course the gun's not loaded, right? And he's like, oh, you're so brave. Let me share your mushrooms with me. You know, like, let's let's go on this trip together. Like, they decided he was cool. That was Charlie's story. Right. <laughs> and he's like, oh, and then the Federales got on me. They are like, let's send him back to America, back to California where he can get arrested. No, he, he was just in Texas pimping these girls. And, like, someone caught on to what he was doing. They identified him. He had a fake ID. Like, oh, who are you really? And he gave up the ID, and then they wanted to send him back to California. He's like, ah, fuck. Let me come up with a really cool story about how I impressed a whole native population with my badassery. I got me again. 
But when he was interrogated for stealing that check, the police left the check on the table, and Charlie, when they turned their back, he took the check and shoved it to his mouth and ate it, thinking that if he destroyed the evidence, they would have no <laughs> case. <laughs> Like, bitch, this is the 1960s or 1950s America. We don't need a case. <laughs> okay, fuck you. <laughs> oh, wait, you're white. Yes, actually, we do need a case. <laughs> right, we need some evidence. Well, turns out his prostitute girlfriend had actually gotten real pregnant and gave birth to Charles Luther Manson in 1961. Like Rosalie, she ditched Charlie and took her son to live in another state. Things got worse for Charlie when his mom, Kathleen, came to visit. As soon as she sat down, he asked for money for a new guitar. She told him she was broke because she and her husband, Lewis, not Newis, not Newis, no, had just spent $2,000 to adopt a little orphan girl. Aww. Oh, that's sweet. I know. The orphan girl was probably meth, though, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's 1959. They don't think they had meth back then, except in Nazi Germany. Greg. 1961. Oh, you're fair. Fair, fair, fair. You son of a bitch. (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) Upon hearing this, Charlie went apeshit and said he never wanted to see his mom again. What a fucking cart man response to that fucking cart man. I'm an old white man. I'm an old white guy. Leave me alone. (laughs) I'm funny, but <laughs> <laughs> what a Cartman response to that situation! Hey, mom, I want to get jars. Like, no, fuck you! I just b- adopted a child. Ah, oh, you never love me, you fucking bitch. But me, but me, <laughs> Cartman, Cartman, <laughs> like a super. I am the Cartman. <laughs> <laughs> Hero of the everyman. Just a Mexican dude pushing a thing full of elotes and pelotas. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, here comes Cartman. He'll stop you. <laughs> El Cartman, please. El Cartman. <laughs> In nineteen sixty-four, Charlie and the rest of America discovered the up-and-coming English rock band, The Beatles. He started writing incredibly shitty songs set to the tune of his piss-poor guitar playing and even played a few prison shows. Charlie began telling everyone that he was going to be bigger than The Beatles. It's a, it's a high bar to set, man. It's, a, it's up there. You would be an awful pole vaulter with that attitude. <laughs> okay. In 1966, Charlie was transferred to a minimum security facility, where he mostly kept to himself. This was mainly because he was a tiny dude at five foot four, and also happened to be a massive racist who thought that the black and Latino prisoners were lesser humans. He told his cellmate and the guards on multiple occasions that he believed that black people were genetically inferior, but if you gave them enough guns they would probably wipe out the white race. <laughs> what a piece of shit. Uh, it's surprising that a guy raised in 1930s West Virginia is a racist. That shocked me a little bit. <laughs> no, but 
Uh, knowing that he's trying to start a race war, like if you just went with that information, you'd think maybe he's not that bad. It's like he's a John Brown. He's a modern John Brown. Like these people need to rise up. I'm going to help them rise up because I'm white and superior and I can help them. Um, but no, he's, he's a piece of shit. He's a racist piece of shit. And as we go forward, you're going to find that out that he basically just wants to pin all of his crimes on black people, thinking that will support his race war theory. Well, now that uh, obvious and outed racist Chris has mm. spoken. No! No! <laughs> at the minimum security prison, Charlie met and befriended a guy named Phil Kaufman. Phil had been an extra in movies and TV and had made lots of friends in the music industry before being arrested for dealing drugs. He actually liked Charlie's music and told him to look up a guy at Universal Records when he got out. In 1967, Charlie was granted early release at the age of 32. But instead of heading to Los Angeles to be a part of the music scene, he headed north to Berkeley. It was here that he met 23-year-old Mary Brunner, who had moved from Wisconsin to live an exciting life, but instead became a very lonely librarian. Yeah, and according to Charlie, she had copious body hair, if you know what I mean. Just everywhere. Just a hairy belly, hairy chest, just this trail leading down from her neckline all the way down to her sensual penis. No! Um, <laughs> yes. I was gonna make a penis joke, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> No, she was very hairy and very smelly, but uh, Charlie was like, that's my girl right there. Hey, man, that's a quintessential librarian. <laughs> right. Well, good old Charlie. He sensed blood in the water, and after complimenting her dog and playing her a few shitty songs, he killed her. No, I'm just kidding. He uh, moved into her house and started mooching off of her while using her for sex. Yeah, in addition to... Banging Mary and taking her food and money, he'd also bring home other girls and bang them while she was home and well aware of what he was doing. Just, uh, you know, living that free love, late 60s life, man. Which, uh, ladies, just, this is unacceptable, right? <laughs> you and me, right? Girl power. <laughs> All right. Like you went to your Dr. Phil. Ladies! This is not okay. Yeah, uh, speaking of fucking pandering, evoke Dr. Phil. Well, our boy Charlie, he uh, he began hanging out in San Francisco in a neighborhood known as Haight-Ashbury, which was usually full of young, dumb hippies looking to enlighten themselves. He'd stand on the corner playing his guitar, shittily, most likely, and would speak of becoming free by giving everything up. And he'd say nonsensical shit like, death is the same thing as life. And nothing is bad. It was just society trying to hold you down. Somehow this worked in convincing girls that their inhibitions were just society telling them what to do. And so they'd go back to Mary's house and make dirty hippie love. Yeah, and according to Charlie right here, when he'd be out and hate Ashbury, he'd be like, trying to play bars and when the bar would turn him down he's like hey i got two partners and they wanted to rob this place but they i told them if i come in here play music make a few bucks they won't rob it and so i need you guys to give me some money otherwise my friends are going to come here and rob the shit out of this place and that was his idea of him being a good guy 
but it's so fucking ridiculous because that's robbery. This saying, hey, give us money or we're going to rob you is the same thing as give us money or we're going to fucking hurt you and take the money. I believe it's called extortion, Christopher. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of when I went to uh, that game up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Parked in the parking lot of the sports stadium. Mm-hmm. Guys come up and they're like, hey, you want uh, protection for your car? And I'm like, no, it's good. Like, uh, you, uh, you sure about that? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? How much? How much to protect my car? Because the implication is, as soon as you leave, they're going to they're fucking, it. yeah, fuck your car up. Yeah, yeah. If you don't pay them for protection. I'm doing uh, air quotes for right. our audio listeners. And of course, this is Charlie's story, and it doesn't make any fucking sense, because any... Back then, any bartender's gonna have a dude that can beat the shit out of a five foot four, hundred and ten pound dude, you know, who's threatening. I'm gonna rob you if you don't give me some you know, money for my music. It was just Charlie's story to make him sound, make himself sound tough. But in reality, what probably happened is he got kicked out of the bars and he just stood on the corner playing his shit ass songs for anybody that passed by, hoping to make a few bucks. Back on over to you, Greg. <laughs> Back to you, Greg. On a drive one day, Charlie saw a young 18-year-old girl crying on a park bench. And he immediately locked up the fucking brakes. He's like on the 401, the fucking freeway, caused this massive (laughs) strike. Oh, fresh meat! There she is! (laughs) Like, jumped out, left the car in in drive. It's just slowly rolling down the freeway as he's like, like Terminator T-1000 sprinting over to sit on that park bench. Oh, yeah, he must be shit. <laughs> You're like, man, sh- you know, she really looks vulnerable right now. <laughs> yeah. Not for long. <laughs> well, her name was Lynette Fromm. She had run away from home after twice attempting suicide in an effort to escape life with her domineering parents. When Charlie approached, she thought he looked like a, quote, hobo with class. Fuck's that mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, he was filthy and his penis was exposed, but he had a bow tie on, so I was like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he told her she was pretty and, quote, The way out of a room is not through the door. Just don't want out, and you're free. God damn it. End quote. <laughs> Just nonsense. Just fucking nonsense. He go. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what his, does he mean? That's his go-to from here on out. Just fucking bullshit. Like, we're all God. I'm God. You're God. So if God has sex with God, it's okay, right? And like, well, okay, all right. That makes sense to me. It's basically masturbation at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, upon hearing this, her panties dropped instantly. She moved in with him and Mary. And the three were soon banging in the forests while pretending to be wood nymphs. Soon thereafter, Charlie met a minister named Dean Morehouse who offered Charlie his old piano when Charlie said he was a musician. What could go wrong, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's good times, man. Piano. Free piano. Good times. Charlie pushed the piano down the street, traded it for a Volkswagen minibus, and then ran away with Dean's teenage daughter, Ruth Ann, and began banging her as well. She in the bus! 14, by the way. And he was 32. Lucky. <laughs> no. 
No, that he traded the piano oh, the for the Volkswagen oh, yeah. mini. That's a pretty good trade. Yeah, that's a good trade. Yeah, like I agree. lucky. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, is is pedophilism, if that yeah. is a word. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. fucking awful. The first time they had sex, she's like, "But what about my daddy?" And he's like, "I'm your daddy now." Doesn't it feel good to sin? Ugh. Yeah, it's it's pretty fucked up. He's he's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. Major piece of shit. Kind of. Well, he uh, he just barely makes it over the. (laughs) I say that scale and into piece of shit territory. Yeah, I say that. And then the first place I found his album was on YouTube, and you start looking at the comments, and there's probably ninety percent of the people defending Charles Manson for who he was. I mean, who's gonna look up Charles Manson albums? People that are sympathetic to him or... Weirdos like us. Okay, who's going to comment on them? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. That's that's true. Well, Charlie was arrested for banging Ruth Ann, but lied about his name and said he was a preacher and was given a 30-day suspended sentence. That's all you got to do? <laughs> oh, my name's not Greg Mainhost. Yeah. It's, uh... Chris, co-host. <laughs> Damn it! No! <laughs> well, we have several warrants out for you for abusing animals sexually, so you're going to the clink, fella. You're like, no! No, not me! <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not my name. <laughs> that was a fake name. I didn't mean it. <laughs> now, too late, fella. <laughs> too late, Chris, co-host. You fucking idiot. We got you. <laughs> Well, in Mary Brunner, Lynn Fromm, and Ruth Ann Morehouse, Charlie had found three women who would follow him to the bitter end. And that's exactly where he planned on taking them and a whole lot more people. And sorry, listener, you're going to have to wait. Until next week! For that! Woo! All right, we did that episode. I hope it was entertaining. It's very interesting stuff for us. It's, I, I feel like that's a nice world building. You understand Charles Manson a little bit more. Mm, now you get it, girl. Now, now you get you it. Get it, girl. All right, but Gregory, right now it is time for Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. Charles Manson Jr. would change his name to Charles White following Charles Manson gaining notoriety in 1969. Still, being a Manson weighed heavily on him, and he committed suicide in 1993 at the age of 38. In addition to learning from pimps and Dale Carnegie's self-help books, in 1961, Charlie also picked up several ideas on how to control people through spirituality by studying a brand new religion, Scientology. Fast fact number three. Because he barely attended school and didn't give much of a crap when he was there, Charlie grew up to be mostly illiterate. Despite this, he was once tested and showed to have an IQ of 109, which is slightly above the U.S. average of 98. Fast fact number four. Charles never cared much for his mom, who treated him like a burden when he was younger. It's rumored that one time she attempted to trade him to a childless waitress in exchange for a pitcher of beer. 
Shortly after he moved to Berkeley with Mary, Lynn, and Ruth, he went to Washington to see his mom and ask for money. She said no, and the two never spoke again. All right, we have done it. Partially. I'd like to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for enduring that long time without some hunter-proof history to fill your lives, to make you feel like you have something to live for. But now we're back. We're here. We're telling this story, and it's amazing. And you guys just can't wait for next week when we get to part two, where Charlie tries to become a rock star by befriending a fucking beach boy. Isn't that crazy? Greg. That is... It, that is crazy. Yes, it is crazy. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Uh, in the meantime, check out HunterProofHistory.com at 100ProofHistory on your favorite social media platforms. And Gregory, what else? If anybody happens to have a connect in kind of the south region of the u.s um i cut off my nipples like marilyn manson mm-hmm. i thought i i thought this episode was something else i need to get those reattached <laughs> so if anybody has any leads go ahead and just send it on the ig please please what about the ribs please. you had to remove oh, i already ate those <laughs> okay all right we'll see you next time bye goodbye Let me have a drink. That'll solve things. That's always the... I hate how you do that when you fuck up. You're like, oh, okay. This will reset me. <laughs> no, that's the problem! <laughs> you just kicked the fucking thing! I need it. I hit it with my knee, not kick. Idiot. You fucking moron! You need to get better at fucking podcasting. <laughs> oh, we're, we're well past that. <laughs> that ship has sailed. What if I ever take anything personally? That's why you entertain me so much. I don't take shit personally. (laughs) As he cuts his thighs beneath the camera. (laughs) Yeah, you can't see it. There's a razor blade. I'm pantsless down here. (laughs) No, you have a thong on. You know it. (laughs) Banana hammock. I saw it. It's got elven ears on the side. It's a regular thong, and it still encapsulates your penis. <laughs> part of the reason you cut yourself. I took that personally. Fuck you, Greg. My dick's average size. Why you gotta be a dick all the time? God damn it. It got me on an FBI watch list, but I did look up the average size of a three- to five-year-old male's penis in the U.S., and I'm average. Uh... I had a dream that we broke down the number of battles we need to cover in World War One is like fifteen battles long, which isn't true at all. But it was like, oh shit, this is gonna take all goddamn year. We're way behind. And I woke up in like cold sweat, but with a boner for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I right. wouldn't have goddamn said it if it wasn't funny. <laughs> Deb, let's get oh, into this stupid okay. show. God, how long? Are- Oh my god. It's ridiculous. Who cares? We're having a good time. I care! I do this! This is my job! (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen married a dude. She met an alcoholic synonymous. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) 
uh, uh, who needs to go there? That's <laughs> what I was saying. The irony of a drunk guy not being able to say Alcoholics Anonymous. You just spit all over the I fucking did. Mic. Shut up. <laughs> You've cucked yourself a kid <laughs> so many times. I got nothing. It's okay. Yeah, that's no, that's. Oh, you don't terrible. have you don't have anything. Do it again. Oh, that's new. Yeah, this, but this is less this anger. Is a, this is a a new angle. Whatever, man. You don't have just, anything? Huh? Just trying to make a good podcast. I'm you sorry. Suck. Fuck you. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I take back everything I've said Have over the last fucking month. <laughs>